I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. We're here. We're queer. Meh. Textual healing. So, Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, uh, is uh, a piece of shit (laughs) and got into some hot water this week uh, when... um, he, he's the founder of the evangelical Christian aid program called Samaritan's Purse, which yeah. sounds like a, the name of a drag queen um, <laughs> of some kind. <laughs> but anyway, so Franklin Graham doubled down our policy, allegedly banning LGBTQ people from volunteering um, at this like emergency hospital they set up in Central Park in the city. They're mm-hmm. calling it a mobile ministry center, and it was set up at the end of March for overflow from Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. So all these people, so apparently volunteers have been t- turned away because they're gay, including healthcare workers, because they're supposed to ad- adhere to, to a, quote, statement of faith in which marriage is defined as exclusively the union <laughs> of one genetic male and one genetic female. Genetic male. They add genetic male. <laughs> Did they really? Oh, wow. So wow. basically, if you want to help at this mobile ministry, you can't if you're gay but it's oh go ahead i was just gonna say it's just so funny to think you know in the middle of this absolutely unprecedented pandemic that you could you know in the middle of the night go to the front doors of this impromptu clinic in the middle of central park to be like hey i'm here i need to help what do you want me to do and they're like all right first how do you feel about gay marriage? Are you genetically male? Yeah. Are you genetically male? It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. They won't even but... let you volunteer. I yeah, know. I right. mean, right. Well, we should we should preface this that, you know, religious organizations are often in this country, like it or not, exempt from certain sort of things that we seem, we, we feel are like things that they shouldn't be exempt from, for example, like certain forms of what we feel is discrimination. And so there are like, you know, for example, at schools and stuff, they can like private schools that are, have religious denominations, they can deny certain things, expect certain things. Like there's different rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the kicker is if they get certain tax money, I think, they can't do, I mean, there's different laws in different States and it's all different. I'm, I'm surprised in New York city that the mayor hasn't. Well, that's the thing. Uh, uh, there's a rep, uh, uh, sorry, New York state Senator Brad Hoyleman, who's gay, uh, tweeted about it, uh, saying it's a shame that the federal government has left New York with no other choice, but to accept charity from bigots, bigots like Franklin Graham can believe whatever they choose. It's a free country, even for homophobes. But when you come to New York, you've got to follow our anti-discrimination laws. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you do in publicly funded things and, and, you know, like public businesses and stuff, but like, uh, churches are different and it mm. sucks. I mean, it's one, of, I don't understand what really sort of irks me is Mount Sinai is a Jewish hospital. I know. Yeah. And Wild. if they're affiliated with Mount Sinai, then you would think then they would have mm-hmm. to abide by Mount Sinai's rules and regulations, which is, I mean, I've been to Mount Sinai. It's, it's a great hospital and they don't discriminate against anybody. Sure. So like, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm understand why this organization is affiliated with Mount 
Sinai. Yeah. He's such, I mean, he's such a piece of garbage. And like, I, I still remember like people for whatever reason, singing the praises of his father, Billy Graham. And in, 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 I don't know why I only focus on this one person, but I'm always, <laughs> I'm always thinking about Kathy Lee Gifford, the way she would talk about Billy Graham and Frank Graham has a story. <laughs> I, uh, so I, wait, I see morning talk shows have really played a central theme in your life, your entire life, Elliot, it seems. No, I, I mean, it's just the, I, I, I just I remember too. so clearly. He, he views political evangelicals through the prism of talk sh- morning talk shows. <laughs> we just we just watched we just watched the Kathy Lee Gifford workout video, and in it calls she calls Frank her now you know deceased husband right. um, love machine Frank Gifford. Oh, oh yuck! Boy. Yeah, oh, wow. baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I gotta love when Christians are extra horny. <laughs> I was I was gonna say that I I could have sworn that I always feel like when people talk about Billy Graham, they always kind of put him in a slightly different category is well, like the Jerry Falwells that Billy Graham was a little bit higher above, end a, yes. a little higher he end was, I guess he was, he was because he was um Jerry Falwell was a really Jerry Falwell was connected with sort of the rise of the uh evangelical Christian right movement in the 1980s when Reagan became right. president he was right. deeply connected to that and right. so Jerry Falwell was inherently a political figure Billy right. Graham was not quite so a political figure, but he was deeply connected into the political world um, because of his affiliation with various presidents dating back to John F. Kennedy. And mm-hmm. he, there's a documentary on Netflix called The Family about the religious organization in D.C. that is very much involved with the prayer breakfast that happens at the White House, but oh, right. sort of the organization behind that. And Billy Graham is somehow connected to that. And he has this sort of like statesman almost figure because he met with world leaders. He met with the Pope. He met with the queen and the queen was like, she was moved by him. I mean, she was, he was one of her like closest confidants. And I mean, they, they covered in, in the crown, like when they first met and how important that was. So Mm -hmm. he was really a world figure, religious state. Was he a televangelist? No, no, that he was, he came long before television. I mean, mean, he had television programming when that all came about, but he became, he He wasn't selling like holy water in no, like a glass vial. Jim Duggar. He was very, I mean, he was polarizing. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, he was one of the figures, the religious figures that sort of normalized John F. Kennedy Catholicism in a way. Um, But Kathy Lee would talk about him, with this reverence as if he was like, you know, this, this, this reverence about, Oh, you know, Billy Graham, he, he, he does this, he does that. Well, everyone did every president Clinton did. I mean, it was, but but so was he as, I mean, was he as, um, you know, likely to be as outwardly homophobic as his son? I mean, no, I will say from what I know of Billy Graham, and my family's love of Billy Graham, even oddly, he has a deep connection to Missouri. He wasn't that sort of alt-right figure that his son has kind of become in the era of Trump, where he's been sort of, you know, his son became more in line with the Jerry Falwell idea of religious leaders. And Billy Graham was a bit more, I'm I'm sure he was a homophobe, and I'm sure he hated gay people. but, But I don't, I think he was maybe a bit more diplomatic yeah. About it mm-hmm. than than his son. So that old school republic, you know, yes, old school political so. views, which is I don't share my political views. Very much so. You know, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be well, surprised to hear that. Yeah, he uh, he went on Franklin Graham went on Laura Ingram's show on Fox on Fox News because that's where you go, <laughs> of mm-hmm. course. And of course, she welcomed him with open arms. Um, 
this is the same woman who I think outed her brother and a bunch of gay mm-hmm. people at, in her college yeah, newspaper. Right. right. Um, in the anyway, 80s, more or less, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> awful. Anyway, so, so he said to Laura Ingram that he's not homophobic. He says, I'm certainly not going around bashing people because they may be homosexual. I don't bash them. He said, I want them to know the truth, that God does love them, and he died for their sins, and they would refund and put their faith and trust in him. If they did that, God would forgive their sins like you forgive me. I'm a sinner too. (laughs) I don't bash them. I just shake them into submission. Exactly. Uh, And they don't know know, better until I tell them to do better, how to do better. You know, obviously, I mean, I don't think we have to tell our listening audience that it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I do think it's kind of a bummer. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a bummer under circumstances like this that, you know, there is no crisis, right. <laughs> uh, emergent enough such yeah. that the, this particular, you know, uh, 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 charity nonprofit is willing to accept even the free assistance from gay people. Assistance, and I think, not even patients. I think at the, at the end of the day though, I, my, my fundamental belief, you're both looking at your phones right now, by the way, but I'm my looking fundamental at belief, I can, like, I'm watching you. you both. And well, I'm sorry, Elliot's touching his nuts and Alan is looking at his phone. <laughs> but my, it's my fundamental belief. It's just the slippery slope argument, which is if they see that gay people can be a help during or, even one gay person can be a help during a pandemic then mm-hmm. well what's to say they can't be a help for when you throw up your next um you know impromptu clinic or something and so they just it doesn't they matter just, they don't care. it doesn't matter yeah, there they, is they, no if they give an inch they have to give a mile so they always have to i mean we, we, you know coronavirus could be killing 80 percent of the world and they would still say no gay people because if we survive then we want to make sure which, which by the way is like the most ironic it's the most ironic turn you could take the idea that these people are so you know uh uh god loving and and open you know they're they're so open and faithful and, and it's all about like the human race and this sort of acceptance of everybody but it all comes at a price and you're not even allowed mm-hmm. to volunteer well you don't align with that it also goes against the sort of uh, precedent set during the HIV AIDS epidemic, which is what I was looking up on my phone, Brent. Um, well, you uh, should have been focused that, on my words. Uh, sure, sure. We all are. <laughs> um, but that the Catholic Church's uh, hospitals in the city, particularly now shut down um, St. Francis and St. Vincent's Hospital and St. Clair's Hospital, two large Catholic hospitals that you know, these nuns, even though the the hierarchy of the Catholic Church was saying, you know, this is wrong. We, these people are getting this disease. Gay people are getting this disease because of their sins, all these things. And the nuns took a very direct approach because they were being turned away from other hospitals in the city. And the nuns were saying, come in, come to this hospital. We'll help you here. And because they put aside the religious belief right. of them being sinners because it was their belief that everyone deserved care. Right. Everyone yes. deserved health care. And that, I mean, I'm sure there were some nuns that turned some gay people away. I'm not saying they all were great, but I am sure. saying that there is a precedent in the city that there was this one nun, Sister Carol, in the, who sort of led this movement of nuns in New York during the 1980s, during the height of the AIDS epidemic, to care for queer people who were dying from the disease or the virus. And that this goes against that. And New York city is not a place where you turn someone away because of your bias against them. It's just not right. Once again, to be a little clear though, they're turning away volunteers, not patients. Well, they well, might also be turning away patients. Yeah, we don't know. Jerry well, Nadler wrote a letter to de Blasio and governor Cuomo and Mount Sinai's health system CEO, Kenneth David asking for answers regarding 
uh, the discriminatory, discriminatory practices, saying, we're concerned that as a result of potentially facing discrimination and cultural incompetence, mm-hmm. queer individuals, LBD, LGBTQIA individuals may not seek medical attention, so not even just volunteers. Gay people might not want to go there because of this. We sure, also but that's don't not know. what the article's about. The well, article but, was about volunteers. Well, Alan, I think it's if you're you're a stickler on being fair and honest. I so am. The article's but I also I also want to you a have, volunteer being rejected. You have to also be clear that when people are turned away, volunteers or even patients, oftentimes when patients are turned away, we don't know the end result of why they were turned away or how they were turned away because they often die and their death is not reported. No, I'm serious. Don't laugh at that. And their so death. I, I I understand, but we. we but, but what I'm saying is that I'm their death we don't goes have un- evidence of that. We don't have evidence of it but we do have evidence that this happens that people try to seek medical care and if they're turned away and they die that data is not recorded as them being turned away for whatever reason and so that data is lost and queer people's stories of being turned away are then forgotten and so it is important i think to acknowledge that well, yeah, also, I also will gay. say there is something called the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, which is a doctor can deny treatment for various reasons, but they can't refuse to treat a, a person with life-threatening At a public injuries. institution, at a private religious institution, hospital, especially this care unit, if they turn someone away and that person isn't able to get care anywhere else, then that person's story is lost because mm-hmm. this unit is able to turn someone away. That code of ethics among doctors that you just read does not apply to necessarily to religious institutions, that they can do whatever they want because they're privately funded mm. all right well it, it sucks but um yeah i mean at least I mean, it's good to see nadler writing an article uh, writing an, you know writing an, a letter to de blasio and cuomo and and the ceo trying to get some answers and um you know aoc also signed it with some other representatives too so i once someone was at a thing with nadler years ago at some irish event like for saint patty's day or something and he had cream cheese on his chin for like a half hour and i just could not stop staring at it mm, yummy yeah <laughs> not even joking so our guest today is a drag race legend Really, I think we could arguably say Drag Race Legend on season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race and season four of RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars, Naomi Smalls. Welcome, Naomi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm making it worse. <laughs> I love. <laughs> well, this coronavirus is actually making it worse because we can't record in person. So we're, 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 we're dealing with the Zoom reality. Oh, that's that is... okay. I have a set anyway. Are you in, are you in LA? I am. I, uh, I w- when this all happened, I was doing a show in Vegas, and um, when we got the news, it just kind of like all went to, sh- to hell. So I decided yeah. to like take a car at midnight and be really dramatic and be like, I'm going home to my safe space. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, we, I, I was going to bring that up later on, but I think now's probably a good time because it's on everyone's mind at this pandemic. So like you were in Vegas for RuPaul's Drag Race live, which was a big, big Vegas show at um, the Flamingo, right? Flamingo? Yes. Yeah. And, and then all of this started and like Vegas shut down like which is unheard of i mean i don't think that's ever happened before like what was it like those last few days those last few shows because they canceled the meet and greets and stuff right like how was how were you feeling those last few days i mean when it really broke it was like when it got i feel like to like the public it was still just like this huge question mark we had no idea what was really what it really was all about and i still feel like we're kind of confused about it Mm -hmm. but um 
I was pretty much just kind of going into like the panic of, yeah. okay, well, if I get sick here, I'm not going to be able to see my mom. <laughs> so I want to make sure I like yeah. take, take care of myself because my mom is elderly and has health issues. So, um, I definitely was like freaking out for that reason. And I just decided like, even before the cast broke, I was kind of like a drama queen and I like just left early. <laughs> Where, but, where's your mom's your family is from red redlands right mm-hmm. yes we're from like the inland empire redlands california so did you go home at all or did you not are you just quarantining in la no i'm quarantining la um i don't really have a plan to go home yeah, yeah. my mom's like very adamant about not seeing any of my siblings yeah, right now right. or like You've got a ton of siblings too right i do i have 11 brothers and sisters <laughs> And my mom is definitely taking all the precautions. So I know it's hard for her not seeing all the kids, but 11 brothers and sisters, that group text must be insane. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's it's, it's actually pretty tame. It's only really active around the holidays. I want to ask about Vegas. So before this all ended, you know, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, between all stars and just being a full-time drag queen, like you were touring, you're doing, you know, you're doing shows every, you know, everywhere you're traveling constantly and, and on these different tours as well. But since Vegas was a residency, had that felt different, you know, being part of a fucking Las Vegas residency than the touring grind? Oh yeah. I was a huge fan of it because I'm like, I'm definitely, I'm a drag queen, but I'm an introvert at the same time. And I really like my routine. I'm a hardcore Virgo. So I get <laughs> to just like wake up, know exactly where I am. And unfortunately on tour, you just don't have that luxury. You're like trapped in a really small yeah. bunk in a bus and, yeah. you wake up yeah. and you have like no idea where you are and no idea where you're going, but you have to put on some eyelashes and get on stage. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really liked having like a regular sleep schedule and not hopping on a flight or a bus every Did they provide you hours. with like housing too? Or is that, does everyone have to do their own thing and then just show up at the, at the theater and prep and all that stuff? Oh yeah. I was staying at the Caesars penthouse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was staying like in Henderson, like 15 minutes away from the strip. Yeah. And okay. I actually had family who lived in Vegas. So it was like really convenient too. Oh, that's great. And Rue was staying in the Caesars penthouse, wasn't he? That week he was there. Yes. Oh my God. I wasn't even trying to throw shade, but like, <laughs> I totally forgot. I'm like projecting the life I'd love to live. I mean, I don't think it's throwing shade when you're saying that someone is so accomplished in the world that they get to, to stay at the Caesars penthouse and get the Caesars plane flying them out there. Like that's a big deal. Caesars, just so everyone knows, Caesars owns Flamingo and a few other like hotels in, in Vegas, but it was so fun. We were out there. Michael and I were out there for the week before for, I guess, the opening day? Or was Mm -hmm. it the... I don't know what it was. Um, But the show was so fun. And it was like... I can imagine the the normalcy of having, like, going to a show every night in the same city. You show up at 3 p.m., you do a show, you go home at 10 p.m. or whatever it is. Like, that must have felt really comforting. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I used to, like, love like doing my makeup at home and showing up and like having to walk down the strip, like in full, like wig and hair. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was like a, it was fun though. It's like whatever like soundtrack is playing in my ears. Do but. you, was there, do you like, did you go out like on your nights off or whatever? Did you like, 
are you one to go out to like gay bars and or drag bars and see other people perform and or are you more of a homebody oh my gosh when it first started like i was 21 after season eight of rupaul's drug race and i like soaked it fucking up like i was pretty much blacking out and coming to on an airport (laughs) (laughs) always like making my flight on time but i definitely used to party hard but now i just really like to Mm -hmm. unless i have a day off the next day i just cannot like consume alcohol like Mm -hmm. that anymore did you do you like um do you still go out to like drag shows or or is it just have you had enough and you just need to like decompress? Oh no, that's like pretty much the only way you can get me to go out is if there's like a show. Oh, okay. That's great. I think the last, the last time we went out, Michael and I went out was to your show at um, Mickey's at Showgirls. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, was that your, I mean, you went back to Vegas to perform, I guess after that, didn't you? That was like my last club gig. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm and happy I, I got to do that before it all shut down. Oh, and that's kind of where you got your start too, right? With Showgirls? Like I consider like Mickey's West Hollywood like to be the first um venue that like respected my drag and like gave me a chance. I used mm-hmm. to do like competitions before that and it was always just like amateur hour. Um but like Raven, who was the host at Mickey's, really helped me like pave the way into mm-hmm. like the West Hollywood scene before getting on drag race. Yeah. And that's something that like has always surprised me because like when you started, cause we have a mutual friend, Ricky, who you're mm-hmm. a longtime friend with. And uh, one thing that I love about you is that like, you do keep it kind of the people you work with, even with your drag, you keep it sort of within a tight net circle of people that is sort of like a family in a way. And Michael makes some of your looks and like mm-hmm. Ricky helps you out and travels with you. And it's, it's great. And that period between when you started drag and when you got on drag race was really short. It was only a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then you're this like world famous drag queen. How did you, I mean, you said you drank a lot, but like, how did you adjust <laughs> to like that sort of overnight immediate fame? Uh, you know, it's really cool. Like I, I really love my time on drag race and I have to say like, I have so much respect for that. Like, 16 year old kid who literally was just like so obsessed with this television show pretty much Mm -hmm. and had an interest in makeup and was like oh maybe that could be like something one day but not actually like a reality and then like it's really cool that I get to like um showcase that literally any dream is like can come true yeah yeah yeah, that's like I think why I have so much so many like young fans do you ever watch your audition video? Again? Oh my God. <laughs> I saw a screenshot of it the other day and I was looking at it and I was like, Oh, I was before any Juvederm. <laughs> <laughs> before any surges of Botox. I had died. I think I was like, I was flat ironing my hair back then. So wow. That just kind of explains it all. Yeah. And the year between, um, so like you did, you know, season eight and then, between that and all stars, like, you know, a lot of people go on all stars for whatever reasons, like what was your motivation going into all stars? Like, what did you want to achieve outside of, of course, winning, but like, did you have something you wanted to prove? Honestly, like I, I only reason I was on drag race is like, I'm, I'm literally such a competitive person. Mm -hmm. So like on both seasons, I went in there just wanting to win. (laughs) Like, that's just kind of, I think the, the mindset you should have going on that show. Yeah. Um, and I, 
got to showcase so many different things and I like the things that I would change are just like so out of my control and have made me who I am today. So I'm so thankful for that. Without like, without necessarily, you know, throwing shade, like how much of, how much, um, (laughs) I love when Brent laughs at me saying, that was actually Alan, but I was chuckling (laughs) too. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't, it doesn't, these words, certain terms like fall out of my mouth, like clunkers. They don't, I can't even make them sound (laughs) shade, but uh, at least in terms of throwing shade. In terms of throwing shade. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like how much of your experience do you, you know, you want to go in and win. You want to go in and win the show. You want to go in and win All-Stars. How much of that feels deterred by producing and producers or, like, forces that are out of your control? Because, like, obviously sometimes people on any reality show but also on Drag Race will blame the edit or, you know, the edit will be, you know, how much of that feels real to you and how much of it feels just like it's, it's, it's out of your, it's, it's, it's in your control or out of your control. I definitely think that winning drag race is, was definitely not like in my control. And I got a little, like, I think I got a little wrapped up in it, like the competition, because I was just like, so focused on wanting to win. And, um, I, even though I had that like focus that I wanted to win, I still feel like I got to showcase like a lot of like my personality and like, I, I honestly I could see like two episodes into all stars that I was not going to take the crown, but it wasn't going to stop me from giving my like a hundred percent every week. Right. Did you feel that? Oh my God. Absolutely. But really? like, <laughs> I think that's when you look at drag race and you look at the guest judges and you look, you like hear the puns like and the critiques and everything. It's like, that's not necessarily my style of drag, I guess, yeah. in that yeah. way. But like nothing against it. It's just like a different kind of style. Do you mean like and, different? Oh wait, you mean like less humor, more like high drama kind of kind of thing or pageantry? I don't even know if it's like a less humor way because I do f- think I'm like pretty witty and I have like a pretty good sense of humor. Um, I can but, attest. but i'm not like gonna do a like a parody of like tucking because it's just like not my like style you know (laughs) yeah yeah exactly i mean but that's perfect for drag race like it's perfect but just not for me i think that's something that like you know uh, the three of us i mean i mean i do drag but like brent and elliot like with performing and doing stand-up and just comedy in general like there is this sense of you go in you kind of have to be competitive. You have to really be competitive to try to get anywhere in this business. And then when you're in it, there's this sort of, it starts to normalize and you're like, you have no control over like getting on Conan or getting on whatever. Like you literally, you just, you have to keep working and hopefully it manifests in a way. And I think dragon drag race is probably a lot like that. Once you get there, it's like, you have no control. So you might as well just play the game and hope it all works out. Right. Yeah. Never let it like get in the way of you just like trying to present the best version of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. How do you, um, I'm, uh, Alan knows that I'm a big fan of lip sync assassins. Uh, (laughs) I love a lip sync assassin uh, of which you are one. How do you, obviously on drag race, these are the the songs are pre chosen ahead of time. Um, and then you have to kind of, you know, be malleable enough to, to, you know, uh, sort of shoehorn your brand or who you are into the song. How do you choose uh, a song or what songs you're going to lip sync to in real life at shows? What, what, 
what appeals to you about a certain song or a certain artist that makes you want to lip sync their song? Um, honestly, my, like my best friend Ricardo has taught me so much about performing and like keeping an eye out for like certain like nuances and songs that really stand out to you. Um, when I am obsessed with a song, like I'm playing it on repeat until I'm so sick of it. And that's kind of like how I go with it. I used to start off with like trying to find an outfit and pick a song around that, but that gets really, really awful when it's like there's a due date for a performance. So now I tighten it like to have a soundtrack. And what's your favorite, like what's the favorite song that you've ever lip synced to in your, in your entire career? Is there one, is there, is there a standout? Oh my gosh. That's a good question. Were there, were there any clunkers? Were there ones that you were, uh, Oh my God. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, any song that I'm like unconfident in when I, which means like, I just don't a hundred percent know the words like, like I could recite them backwards. Right. Like that makes a good lip sync is like, you know, every single breath that's happening. Yes. I think the ironic thing from your time on all stars, at least is that like the, the lip sync that you kind of became, like that was huge for you during that season was the Judy Garland, Judy Garland song. And, but that's not your normal, like that's not who you would go to to lip sync. A Judy Garland number is just not like, were you surprised that that sort of became connected to you? Uh, kind of, but it's so funny because when we, when we go to drag race, we get handed like this, like iPod nano, because I'm with you. I I'm, I'm listening. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the nano. I'm with you. He has, he literally will text us probably like three, four times a year being like, if they discontinue the nano, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause he has like four songs. He listens to he, all he, day. No, on. And he, and he only likes, he, Brent only likes iPods with click wheels. I, yeah, he likes the, the click wheel. The ability to click. And just so you know, I have four brand new refurbished <laughs> iPod nanos waiting for me to use in my wow. anyway continue continue please sorry Naomi yeah, sorry Naomi I know you're fine um, when we go to drag race we get handed an iPod nano and there's only like there's only the songs that were going to be on lip sync and Ru- RuPaul's just got discography or whatever the fuck however you pronounce it mm-hmm. um and it's so funny because that Judy Garland song is actually the one that I really, really wanted. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, I wanted every single song so I could send <laughs> everybody home, of course. But um, they can't handle a savage like that. <laughs> <laughs> I will say you brought up your, I brought up Ricky Ricardo. Um, Ricky Ricardo. Ricky wow. Ricardo. <laughs> I just got that. Well, we call him Ricky. You call him right. Ricardo, but he's the same person. But he, you're right. I mean, he's a great performer. And I'll post when this episode goes up uh, a performance that he recently did on a local show here at Akbar, Akbar called Learn the Words Bitch. And it was, it's probably one of the funniest, funniest performances I've ever seen Why? in my life. It, Cause it's, he, it was what well, we, the show has had to, had to be performed via zoom. Right. And he put on this sort of like character where he, he did, um, Oh God, what was her name? She was Catwoman, uh, Eartha Kitt. It was Eartha Kitt singing in Japanese to come to my house, come to my house. Yeah. Come on. Is that song? Yeah. And <laughs> it's the funniest. It's just such an absurd number that he did in an apartment on zoom. 
And it's probably the best thing I've ever seen. No That's offense, great. Naomi. Um, <laughs> Wasn't but, he on the show as somebody's best friend? Yeah, he was. He was yes. Naomi's best friend. Oh, that was your best friend, Ricky. Yes, he was oh, my makeover extra smalls. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah, so we'll post that on, on our Instagram because it's it's a great moment. Everyone should know. And that he influences your performing, which is great. Oh, yeah, he's so, taught me so much about gay culture. I, like, literally am indebted to him because he's just, like, a encyclopedia of gay wait was he like your shepherd out of the closet or something or you just became friends later um we've been friends since um we were like 18 years old oh wow so he really was that he kind of walked you into the gay world yeah like we held hands together through the gay sure. world like i feel like we've been figuring it out kind of together absolutely sure. <laughs> and i think i mean i think that that sort of harkens back to what i was saying earlier that you do keep unlike a lot of i mean I, we've all like know a lot of sort of drag race queens being in hollywood here and like you definitely sometimes you lose that sort of old before you were famous drag queen and and now you keep this sort of circle of people who you've been with for a while and that are friends with you and you try to keep it really familial and tight and like is there anything you miss from those pre-drag race days performing and working i mean i used to really enjoy going out without being asked for a selfie and (laughs) it's not even the act of taking a selfie it's just like having to say no to somebody because it's just like it just it, it will cause the people who I'm with to have a bad night or just mm. like it causes a thing with other people asking. I don't know. So I just try I hate saying no to people, but like it has to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, speaking of like speaking of um like before before you got famous. So now obviously you're world famous, like truly one of one of the biggest queens to come out of the show and and, and so I the boys know that I'm quite naive when it comes to the boys. When have you called us the boys? The guys, the boys. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) My full nail set, hilarious. I'm seated behind Barbies, and you're calling me the the boys throwing shade. Oh my god, (laughs) I'm terrible at this stuff. No, but but ultimately, like, so um, the guys know that I I have always been. naive when it comes to the idea of the sort of kumbaya brotherhood among yeah. queer people that there's always there's you know everyone's in it together and like obviously i am quite wrong with this but when it comes to like drag queens obviously there's a lot of i'm gonna say it shade throwing you know uh, um, on the show and in real life but i always wonder like how much of it actually how much of the sisterhood is real or, and, and is there like bickering like your siblings is there are there actual like you know uh, um is there actual competition in the real world of, of drag or or does it feel more i don't know kumbaya and sisterly uh i feel like kind of to tie back into like what alan was saying it's like i, I really like to keep my core group and yeah i have I'm so, I'm so thankful for RuPaul's Drag Race. One, just because it like changed my life completely as far as career-wise, but it really helped me build like the strong bonds that I have today. Like I have Kimchi, Bob the Drag Queen, Monet Exchange. Like those three especially are the queens who I like was who I endured summer camp with. Right. And like to this day, I would like go to bat for them like I am really thankful for those relationships but as far as like 
I mean, it's like when you literally, when you go like to YMCA summer camp, like you go and see these people for two weeks yeah. and like, it's like when you go home, you're not necessarily like writing them a letter every single damn yeah. day, you know? Right. So it's just like you click with some people more than you do with others. Than well, others. These two, these two were too afraid to go to sleepaway camp. So That's I don't correct. know if they By really the way, that is correct. <laughs> it is kind of funny. I have always noticed, I might've mentioned this on the podcast before, but sometimes like you watch the Oscars or something and like someone will get up there and be like, my co-star in this film, you are my love. And you're like, I'm, you were probably on set for like five weeks together. Like, how could you say that? Like, I know it seemed really intense because now we're watching the movie, but we all know sometimes movies don't take that long to shoot. I guess it depends on the schedule. Right. But like, it's just so funny yeah. when like, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I get that. It's like yeah. what our our friend says, a past guest on the podcast and all of our friends, Brandy, that where she says that forced merriment, like you're forced to be happy and you're forced to believe that this is all happy kumbaya yay but in reality like it's like what the whole point of this podcast is it's okay to like kind of hate gay people sometimes <laughs> you know what i mean if it's for the right <laughs> reasons it's got to be for the right if it's reasons. for the right yeah. reasons exactly well speaking of hating gay people can we talk about wendy williams mm. um oh my, God. I, I, my queen you yes. love her now I, I, uh, and you know she is a complicated figure yes and i will admit i will say it right now even though i feel like listeners are probably going to be like why I love Wendy Williams. I know you love Wendy Williams. Why, why do you love Wendy? And how do you like explain to the complicated nature of Wendy? <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm fully aware that there are some problematic things that are said. Yeah. Um, I guess it's like almost in the same way that like when you're, when your rude aunt like says some bullshit that she should not be saying, yeah. like you like want to just like still love her. Um, <laughs> I, I just have like, so I, in my whole life, like I, my very obsession when I was a kid was like socialites. And mm-hmm. I was always obsessed with like Nicole Richie, another Virgo queen. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, was my number one when I was a kid. And then Naomi Campbell. And I just have like so much respect for like people who, are continuously like hated on mm-hmm. but still live their life exactly how they want to like there's so much power in that because i just know so many people who get so affected by like what strangers are thinking of them and mm-hmm. like my favorite one of my favorite quotes is like what people what other people think of me is none of my business mm-hmm and I don't think it should. Wait, was that RuPaul or, or Maya Angelou? Because I literally don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's RuPaul, right? It was the late, great Rosa Parks. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely RuPaul. Okay, good. I wasn't sure. Wait, so I, my question to you guys, both to both of you, um, and Al, uh, Brent, I think you might agree with okay, me on so this. So I was being excluded. When I okay, watched... go ahead. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, because Alan and Naomi both love Wendy Williams. Right. And I a lot and i i just i have to say i don't understand wendy because when i see clips of the show and one of one of one clip that you made famous on drag race is her faint like like getting dizzy and fainting on right. air so mm-hmm. i i i have to like i don't understand when i watch the show it seems like anti-television meaning the long awkward pauses or the times that she says things and word jumbles that i can't I can't make sense of what she just said. And I'm like, is that, a, do you appreciate that? Do you, is that something you block out in your fandom of her? Like, where does her like weirdness and her like weird way of being on television fall into your love for her? Or is that just something I'm like obsessed with? 
my explanation for that is like okay so this bitch she gives five live shows a week <laughs> of course there's gonna be weird shit that happens like if you yeah. follow anyone around for an hour of day like of course you're gonna see they're weird like it's just gonna happen and yeah. thank god that she's been on for like so many seasons to provide us <laughs> she's like the most meaningful person in your life uh, I, I wouldn't say that but she's definitely on the top five top three she's left. definitely I mean I think the, for the same reason I don't Naomi do you don't watch The View do you I don't I only like tune in whenever like one of my girls is on there yeah 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 I know so Elliot and I watch The View religiously daily it happens and I like Wendy in the same way that I keep watching The View. I know that it's problematic. I know that Whoopi Goldberg doesn't know what she's talking about half the time and doesn't want to be there. And she says a lot of really weird shit, but I can't turn away because guess what? She's my girl. Like, I'm there. I'm committed. I'm going to watch this train wreck until the very, very end. And it's the same with Wendy. Wendy is a walking train wreck, and I love train wrecks. I don't want to go to brunch with a train wreck, but I want to watch it. Mm -hmm. And, like, she's that to me. She's that train wreck that I can't turn away from. That's how I feel about, like... Wendy Williams, Naomi Campbell, Kim Kardashian. Like, I'm very happy never meeting these people ever in my life. I just like to have, like, whatever the fuck my mind has concocted the image. So the Kardashian one, that that does get me to another question. So... I also love the Kardashians. I, I, I struggled with admitting it for years because I felt like it was a bad thing to admit publicly that you like the Kardashians. And I literally like kept it a secret while I was secretly DVRing it at home. But I love the Kardashian. What do you think it is about the Kardashians? I mean, they're kind of gay men anyway, but what do you think it is about the Kardashians that like make them so appealing to gay people? I mean, I don't know how to sum up the gays. I can't speak for them, but <laughs> I definitely know for me, it kind of ties back to like, I mean, they are so hated on. Like you either love them or you hate them. There is no gray area with them. So I have mm. to respect that because that's <laughs> like a crazy life. I can't imagine everything being documented and people caring what I'm doing every second of the day. Um, they're also like my California girls yeah. <laughs> since I'm from California, Southern California born and raised. I just like respect the lingo, the vocal fry, the monotone. I didn't ask for this life. It's just what <laughs> I'm dealing with. That's literally exactly why I don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I may want to disconnect my audio. <laughs> they take themselves so seriously and I, I kind of love them for that like i love how serious they feel like they are like they feel like they're global ambassadors well i would say that they are they're definitely i mean from social media influencer to social media influencer i fucking respect because they definitely <laughs> influence the world mm -hmm. and i'm also a huge fan of just like hair makeup and like fashion so yeah. the fact you know that what's crazy about them in terms of that of them being so big and being so influential as you say like i've lived in la in la for uh, four years now and I, obviously i'm not old enough to necessarily to have been here during that time but it feels like the um influence of what the kardashians look like this sort of like armenian sort of like 
cocoa colored skin, the makeup, the hair, it feels like that has been so influential that it, it basically replaced the idea of like the California blonde bombshell, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like, I guess, beauty standards. It feels like they were the ones to kind of reinvent it in a way that I even, that, that caught me off guard, but you don't, but you know what I mean? Like, it, they, it feels like when I look around LA, so many girls try to look like them, even if they're just, you know, ba- basic and Caucasian. Uh, you have to respect like people who can put down blue eyed, blonde, white girls. <laughs> I stand. <laughs> so, so Naomi, what is like after all is said and done with the quarantine, what's next for you? Oh my God. I hope I can just see my fucking mom. I'm so depressed about that. But, um, my, the Vegas show, I've been told, um, a bunch of different, uh, dates for that. And I hear that we're going to start back in September, but I've also like, I'm thinking that this is going to keep going. We don't, yeah, it's so hard to say. It's just like a huge question mark right now. That must be so hard to like, I mean, to be, a, like literally a working performer you're con- that's how you make all of your money is by performing in front of audiences really and like to not have that as a option to go back to in the foreseeable future that's got to be scary uh it is scary i have like i definitely have to say because it's just like such an easy way to like get out there as a drag queen but i think that since i do have such a huge interest in like art directing like social media has been a huge um like way to do my drag I guess Mm -hmm. so I can I mean like I'm designing like 75% of everything I'm wearing and Mm -hmm. I put all like the promotions together and brands like seem to notice that so I'm not freaking out yet about the whole like being off because I'm still like working on other projects and at least I get to do it from the comfort of my home Yeah. And you're also taking your quote, the most famous quote from all stars for life's not fair. So you're making it work. You know what I mean? You're making it work. Thank you so much much for doing this. You're so welcome. All the talk about Kardashians. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Stay safe. And another thing. Um, so in late 2015, uh, the multi-talented dancer, singer, and uh, recent cat actor, Jason Derulo, uh, released a song called Get Ugly. Um, now it's almost been half a decade since the release, but the song, which is not particularly good, has, a, um, has found a second act. It's uniquely found this place where it's, you know, it's on TikTok. It's, it's created this this trend on TikTok that allows queer teens to come out to their friends and family. Um, And so there's a line in the song that says, this girl's straight, this girl not. Oh my, oh my, oh my God, this girl's straight and this girl not. Very, very Jason Derulo. Um, And basically there are all these really cute videos. uh, I mean, in my opinion, they're cute of people, usually girls, um, coming out to a parent or a sister or a friend. And, you know, when they're, you can tell they're, I mean, I think they're genuine and you can see in all these videos that they catch the person by surprise. And it's a lot of them I found to be heartwarming. I was, I was tearing up because it's, you know, it's just such a sweet moving moment. That's so silly. I mean, the song Mm -hmm. is so silly. The, the sort of, the, the idea that it's a trending thing is obviously a little beyond 
our scope. But, you know, I, I don't know. I find, I find it so cute. Are you calling us old? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I disagree. I'm not moved by these at all. Okay. <laughs> I don't find... We were at a text chain last night, and I think both Brent and I were like, I don't get why this is a thing. I, 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 I understand that it is... Uh, coming out is a very important experience in every queer person's life. I understand that. And... I think it should be a really moving moment or whatever it needs to be for you. But I think when you turn it into a, a, a thing that like plays into an algorithm and how high it gets brought up in your algorithm, I think when it gets turned into an attention grabbing thing, it becomes less cute to me, less genuine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess at this, I was saying to you last night, I guess at this point, I feel like the general consensus across all social media is, I want attention. I want attention. I want attention. And I guess maybe I give a pass to kids because that's just the world that they live in. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's a right, a right or wrong response, but I don't know. To me, that just feels like, okay, this is the language that they speak. And so them doing this like silly meme kind of not meme, but the silly sort of, you know, TikTok uh, 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 response is, it fits into their world mm-hmm. in a way that I just, I can't imagine it. So, you know, what about like a, what is, see for me, like coming out is just so, uh, so, uh, you know, I know it's meaningful for a lot of people, but I just, don't, I don't care. I don't care about the stories. I'm glad that it went well <laughs> for you, but it just doesn't matter to me. So what about, that's why it doesn't make me emotional. Cause I'm like, yeah, I mean, sure great you're coming out that's great via jason derulo fine well i'm just surprised to hear that it makes it strikes an emotional chord with you which doesn't yeah that did surprise me that did surprise me i didn't get i didn't expect that well, probably because i mean honestly it's like the moment where the, the fact that i don't know i guess the fact that it starts as this silly thing and you can see in like it's mostly girls but you can see in their face the moment where they basically they're telling their friend or sister I'm gay. And again, I'm biased because all the videos I've seen and I'm assumed they're most like this, but they're all met with like a really warm response. And a lot of them start to like tear up or their friend or family member or whomever is like excited. There's a, it's a, there's a warmth there. It's like Mm -hmm. an excitement and a, and a, an, it's, it's, it's just warm. The, it, they they're met with like this sweet thing where they start to cry, but and you don't I, think it's staged. You don't, I mean, no, you, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think I would be turned off if it looks staged. It maybe feels I'm, like the, the ones that I watched, the, a lot of them looked very staged to me. I don't know. Maybe I maybe, expect, I mean, I expected it when I started reading about it, I was like, Oh, this has got to be like a setup. But honestly, like the, the ones that I watched this, this one girl's with her, her friend and you can see, again, it all happens in the, in, the, in the span of, what, 10, 15 seconds? So it's obviously quick, but you can see in her face that, like, something is happening. And when she says the line, this girl's not, and she looks at her friend, and her friend looks back at her, and she's like, oh, you could just see, she's like, oh, my God. And the girl <laughs> nods her head and then starts to tear up, and her friend tears up and hugs her. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't it know. It doesn't do it. It's, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't does. do it for me. I mean, I oh. think it gives me. It, it makes me feel like uh, it takes me back to those "It Gets Better" videos where 
I feel like I'm being forced to have a response to something. <laughs> you know right? what I mean? Like I'm forced to have an emotional response to this because somebody wants me to like is toying with my emotions. And so in order for me to like this, I have to have this like deep emotional connection to it because they're coming out or whatever. When in reality I'm thinking like, wait, they like, they had to know the song before they started filming this. Yeah, I never pay attention so, to lyrics. What if, like, you just recorded it and you pointed it yourself and, like, you just, <laughs> your friend wasn't listening yeah. to the lyrics? Yeah, well, exactly. There's a couple of that, too. There's like, and that's sort, of the, that's sort of the joke, too, is that a couple of them, the, you know, the friend who says, this girl's not, mm-hmm. like, waits. Because the, they're obviously watching each other through the, through the lens or the, whatever. And the moment that that happens, that's where this change happens, where the girl's like, why isn't she singing? Oh, my God. You are, you're get, you like girls too. And then it's, for me, it, it I, I, I couldn't help it. It's too sweet. I just think, Elliot, because this is almost, I mean, the first thing I thought was how many lesbians are out there exactly. and you're going to come out right now? Like, exactly. like is, is there enough lesbians in this? I mean, I know there are, but is there like that many lesbians who have a TikTok account who are dying to do this to make this a trending thing? I There's a lot of queer think, girls on TikTok, I guess. I get it. And that's great. That's awesome. But it does feel very like, like a very niche moment to Wait. have something be trending. Wait, um, Brent, Brent, I need to know what Brent you think of this compared to It Gets Better videos. I, ah, I guess I think of them as like completely, I mean, emotionally speaking, it's the same to me. I, I, I don't know, like coming out to a song, I mean, uh, please to each their own. God love you. If that's your thing, if that makes it easier for you, that's <laughs> God great. love you is Brent code for fuck you. <laughs> yeah. God love no, you. Not, that's not true. <laughs> but like, uh, no, Joe Biden says, God love you. He actually has, you can buy a lapel button that says God love you. Yeah. Joe Biden yeah. 2020. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's almost like a, a less emotional, it gets better video because like, at least you can say what you ha- like, you can uh, make your story sort of personal, you know, tailored to your own personal experience as opposed to a song where I just keep having to watch a Jason Derulo song <laughs> and people like coming out to it. I don't know. It just, it just, it feels very fl- flippant to you guys, which I understand. Well, no, it feels, it, it, it doesn't feel flippant to me. It feels completely staged to me. It feels uh-huh. like it feels fake. It feels not genuine. Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 I don't know. I, I went in thinking the same thing, but then I watched them and they, they moved me again. It's also so, di- it's so generationally different from, from us, but also the people who came before us where it's like coming. It's so wild to think about how coming out was such a, almost an impossible process for people older than us. And we yeah. were somewhere sort of stuck in the middle and then it gets better videos sort of made it this pulpit for you to share this moving story where you wanted people to like feel for you, feel for you, feel for you, almost like in a human interest piece. Mm-hmm. And this TikTok meme is happening in clips of, you know, 15 seconds. I don't think any of them are actually coming out though. Like, that's the thing to me. Like, I watch it and I'm like, wait, you people knew, everyone knew this before you started shooting. You had to know the words. I don't understand how this is a thing. <laughs> well, also, I don't, I don't know how much, I don't know how much of the song they have to know because TikTok is short. Oh my God, I'm really showing my age. But we, I mean, TikTok is not for, uh, for, uh, for us. Oh, I don't know. I've been seeing all of, uh, what, what's it called? It's drop the brush challenge where people like take a brush to the camera oh, and right. then they drop it and then they turn into something. Oh, Still, God. it feels like a language I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Wait, but we were going to talk about our co- like if we had coming out songs, what would they? Be? Oh yeah, yeah. And if yeah. you had to, if you had to choose your coming out anthem, yeah, obviously mm. not a Jason Derulo pick per se. What would your anthem be? I loved you guys' coming out once. <laughs> uh, mine would be Amy Grant's "Thy Word." Thy word is love. 
<laughs> what is that? Uh, it's just a song I googled while we were talking. Uh, <laughs> thy word. How did you come word. up with that? By like just Google. Did you just Google Amy Grant. Yeah, Amy Grant's a Christian singer. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, she was, and then she got in a lot of trouble for that pop album, Baby Baby. I was, right. was going to use a, a Pat Boone example, but I'm like that might be a little too deep cut. I am thine, O oh Lord. That was, that was the song I came out to. I am thine, <laughs> O Lord. <laughs> no, really. What would what would be if you had to choose one? What would be your song? I have no. I idea. can tell you mine. Mine would be "Sex and Candy" by Marcy Playground. I smell sex and candy here. Who's that lounging in my chair? A little bit of you know the best of both worlds for me. I can't. Puff the magic dragon. There you go. Puff the magic dragon. Live by the sea. I would do um, only because I literally thought about this for a bit, and I was trying to think of us of a song. And the one song that has played a part in my life since I was a teenager, <laughs> re- referring back to Kathy Lee Gifford here, is Kathy Lee Gifford's um, Carnival Cruise Line commercial. If oh, sure. they could <laughs> see me. Out on a bunch of cruise, eating fancy food and doing what you choose. I'd like your friends back home to get a good look. It's like, yeah. I, I mean, ask Michael, I, I, I bring it up probably weekly. What was this? There was a commercial, I think, I don't know if it was national, but it was always in, played in New York when I was a kid, where it was like the lullaby of Broadway, but she was in a hotel or something. Oh, yeah, I remember that too. I don't remember the details. Wait, what was the commercial for? I think it was for a hotel. Yeah. But I think it was New York specific, and they always did, they did the lullaby of Broadway, but they changed the lyrics to basically be like about the hotel. There's the Milford Plaza Hotel with cocktail, dinner, and breakfast for $43 per person. Discover why we are the lullaby of Broadway. The Milford Plaza is the well, there you go. Puff the Magic Dragon, Marcy Playground, and Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> what would your aunt say? Brent, what would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's podcast? My favorite song is I Am Thine, O Lord. <laughs> My aunt Joanne would say, you know, Kathy Lee was born Kathy Epstein. Was she really? Yes. I didn't know that. And now what would Aunt uh, Aunt Anne say? My Aunt Anne would say, I googled Jason Derulo, and the first picture that came up was he had his a thing in his pants it was showing <laughs> oh i've seen that picture yeah that's a big picture i've seen that picture literally it's a big picture yeah Brent, brent's yeah. literally looking it up right now yeah didn't it get taken down on instagram or something yeah so he posted yeah. it again with a eggplant emoji over it i yeah. think yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. he's nuts yeah. I, I worked out next i worked out next to him at the gym once and couldn't believe his like his 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 presence. He was so well, putting on a, a show. Elliot, it's a very Elliot thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Right. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan, and I'm H. Allen Scott. <laughs> <laughs>